Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. How's that quarantine life treating you? And if you're listening to this episode post-isolation quarantine, how's that new normal working out? I hope we come over and get over to the other side with... Mm, such open-heartedness and wonderful experiences, and may the transition be smooth. But in the meantime, we're dealing with reality. You guys, my friends, my supporters, thank you, as always, follow and share. This particular episode is about addiction in isolation. And I'll tell you why I thought of that. Full disclosure, I am slowly but surely bearing my soul and opening up more. And what you, based on the feedback I get from your reviews, you appreciate about me is that it's about the topic, the other person, my guest. Very seldom do I share about my personal life. There are snippets here and there, and that's exciting. So I want to keep that going, but I also get my inspirations from my own life, obviously. I pull from my own life to come up with topics. And the other day, and you'll hear me share this again, I, it was two in the afternoon, a weekday, uh, so it's been more of a Zoom life now because anything I have to do uh, or, or exercises or workouts or meetings or family, it's been like FaceTime or Zoom. So how's that Zoom life treating you? Because I'm sure most of you are in the same boat. By the way, if you are a first responder, uh, an essential worker, thank you. My goodness, you are so essential and brave and on behalf of every listener, we agree. You guys rock. You're the true rock stars here. Anyway, back to my sob story. <laughs> no, actually, my shocking story. Two in the afternoon, I found myself drawing a hot bath with salt, bubbles, the kitten caboodle. You know, I was too through with my life. Temporarily. It was just emotional. And what is emotion? Energy in motion. So I was going through a motion and I felt like I needed water. I get in this tub. Oh, but before I do that, guess what my body decided it needed? A glass of wine. Oh yeah. I bring the entire bottle with me. And as I'm relaxing, it's perfectly fine. It's a staycation. It's a forced staycation. I have no concept of time anymore. I, every day is Sunday, I like to joke and say. And then I started to think about, good goodness gracious, what's going to happen? Some of us, if we're not already addicts, we will become an addict of anything we are using to medicate or if we are in recovery, what if that actually, gosh, I don't even know what to say, call it. And it occurred to me that addiction thrives in isolation. I may or may not be an addict. I do know that I love wine, good wine. And if the wine isn't to my liking, I walk away from it thereby 
Therefore, I think to myself, well, I don't have an issue because if I don't like it, I'm not going to drink it. I'm still quite bougie about my taste buds and my taste buds are not for everyone. Uh, and I'd like to say I stop at two glasses, but when I'm starting to like five o'clock, like, all right, day's over. Let's have a little splash. So if you start at five, I'm cooking or doing whatever. Next thing you know, more, pouring more, pouring more. And by nine o'clock at night, the bottle's gone. Slow my roll. So I call uh, seven gram. You may remember them. They are an intersex individual. Uh, they are episode 11 and uh, also uh, the addiction expert episode. To ask him to them, oh my gosh, ask them, forgive me, Seven, as you hear this, to ask them to come back on and help guide us as an addiction expert on what the mental health implications of this lockdown mean, because very few are addressing it. And um, Seven's episode, much to my excitement, and chagrin, and I'll tell you why it's a chagrin. Much to my excitement, because Seven's episode is the most downloaded episode of the entire series of What the Fockery. 41 episode so far of this independently produced episode. Didn't start out that way, but someone bailed, um, and it doesn't matter at this point. And uh, I thank them. I thank them. <laughs> because now I'm truly of service and they help facilitate that as they're having their vodka right now, probably, um, or not at four in the morning. And <laughs> um, I wanted to find out. So Seven's episode is the most downloaded. And I thought for sure there would be this major influx of people reaching out to to them, to seven. And as it turns out, no. So I ask them about that in the episode as well. So be sure to listen to the reasons as to why that's not possible, as to why that hasn't happened yet. But we all have, have hope. And uh, I wanted to remind you, betterhelp.com is offering... 10% off to what the Fockery listeners. So it's betterhelp.com forward slash Fockery 10. And the show notes, of course, that will be there. Also, my loves, my loves, allow me. I'd love to remind you that there's always the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline should you be in a space at any given moment. 1-800-273-8255. That's their number. 1-800-273-8255. I've taken the liberty to offer those to you as yet another way to get some help if you're going through a particularly difficult and dark time. Seven, of course, is available. Um, episodes 12 and episode 14, and now we have them back. If this is your first time... I'm Nadege August, your host. Welcome. 
What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. The things that make us go, WTF is that. Now, if this is your first time, I love you. You are already, you are an automatic schmoopy, especially if you give us a five-star rating and leave a sweet review and share this podcast. My friends, my lovers, my schmoopies, with this particular topic about addiction and isolation, I'd like to open a conversation with you guys. Voice memo, just record your thoughts or type it in if that's your thing. Email that, either your voice memo as an attachment or your actual written words to whatthefockery at gmail.com. Let me know what you're struggling with. Is there any addiction that you are struggling with? Any issues, any demons you're wrestling with at this time? Uh, with or with, with your permission, I will share. Without, it's okay. I think I'm trying to understand my own demons as well. So your story will help me. And BTW, please, if there are topics that you want me to explore, let me know what they are. I will go find that person whose lifestyle, truth, or concept you need to know more about. Okay? And for those of you who have been loyal listeners, I want to say thank you. And for the new ones, for being curious, open, and willing. Without further ado, what the fuckery is addiction thriving in isolation? Seven, welcome back. Thank you for being with us once again at a time like this. How is quarantine life treating you, my friend? Miss August, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for having me back. It's a great honor. Um, like a lot of people, I think this has been a profound experience. It's been a roller coaster. I, as you know, I'm a person in recovery and I live one day at a time. Just for today, it's fantastic. The sun is shining. My friends and my family are all well, to the best of my knowledge. I'm sat here with you. And I'm happy. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I am personally, and this is me being completely honest, going through a rather hard time. I feel like my personal life is mirrored by what's happening in the world. You know, one day we were fine and the next day, suddenly we're on lockdown. You have to recalibrate and change everything. Um, I had a relationship that just suddenly locked down, disappeared. It's like, what happened? So... I'm just putting it out there because I am open to being completely vulnerable, but this isn't about me. I, I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that. That that doesn't surprise, you know, you said that it kind of unexpectedly that happened and that doesn't surprise me because I work with people, as you know, as a, as a coach and I'm a recovery person connected to lots of recovery people around the world and stuff like that is happening because we all um, are connecting with very strong feelings. We all have stuff coming up from the past that we just didn't have the time to process or look at. And so people are making dramatic and sudden shifts, changes, decisions, 
Um, and unfortunately, some of those decisions really impact us. And I'm so sad to hear that. Oh, it's um, okay. All I can say is that person obviously wasn't the right person because you are amazing. Thank you, Seven. But when I was started to say this isn't about me, it's then I realized it is about me too because why I have you on and wanted you back is to discuss uh, why addiction thrives in isolation. I heard that and I knew I don't necessarily want to claim that I have an issue, but on weekday, I think it was Tuesday at about two in the afternoon, I found myself filling up a tub and getting into a bubble bath, but having a bottle of wine with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure lots of people listening to that, this can relate to that. Can relate to that. I and then lucky it, devil having a tub, but yes, the bottle of wine or, or the, the whiskey or the tequila or whatever the heck. I, sp- I get my kombucha from the local off license and the off licensee is very happy with his sales right now because of the lockdown. Right. You see, you yeah. People drink very unhealthy levels of alcohol. Yeah. So it, 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 got, it got me thinking about, wow, if someone deals with is in recovery or has addictions, how are they doing? How, what can we do, those of us who, who are in that space, who need the support? Because I believe meetings, right? Yes. I mean, what's, ha- what, what's happened for everybody around the world who's engaged in 12-step fellowships or recovery meetings that happened in the physical world, they have moved online and that has been an incredible thing to see happen that AA, NA, CA, CODA, Al-Anon, you know, MA, all of these 12-step fellowships and also the other non-12 step groups like Smart Recovery, all of these have gone on to Zoom and embrace Zoom and that's wonderful. And I think that actually that will do the world a lot of good. It's opened up the world and people around people in recovery realize that they can go to a meeting in Hawaii or go and make friends in you know Africa. And, and so I think that's one of the great things that's coming out of this. However, it's not the same as being in the room with your, with your fellow human beings. You can't have those things that we desperately need, especially people in early recovery, like a hug, like a tender look that's just to you, like a handhold or a tissue being passed to you at the right moment. This experience really shows us how we are community and how we really need each other. I mean, I went to one meeting just before the complete lockdown, but when people were starting to really social distance and a lot of people weren't going to meetings. Um, and in that meeting at the end, um, somebody just put their hand on my shoulder and that touch felt so amazing, you know? And, and, and I think we're all really starved of that physical affection. And that's one of the big side effects of this. And, you know, I've been speaking out from the beginning of this social isolation lockdown situation, sort of just saying to the world, let's think about the mental health implications of this policy. Uh, and also trying to get doctors who think very much in terms of medical model of illness and disease to think about the implications of what's happening for those people who are currently addicts or in uh, recovery, but also the people who are going to become addicts as a consequence of this, the combination of the trauma from this experience, and also, you know, getting into unhealthy patterns of drinking and drugging whilst at home, not having to show up and, you know, not breathe on the Not having to be accountable. Not Not having having to to be be accountable. accountable. And, you know, everybody, I think, is turning to crutches of one kind or another to get through this because it's painful, you know, in so many different ways. And especially if you live somewhere like New York and, you know, you know lots of people who are dying. It's like being in a war zone. And lots of people are taking comfort in the bottle, the pill, the line, 
you know, the chocolate, the ice cream, whatever. Uh, what are, and there will be, there will be knock-on effects from that. Yeah. What are some of those mental health implications you, you, you were speaking about? What are some things that are happening that you know of that are, that you're seeing? Well, I, I need I, us to, I need us to be able to recognize any behavior that you might suggest so that we can come to that space of knowing, oh, wow, that's me. Danger. Yeah. I think um, dishonesty, dishonesty with self and other people, isolating, you know, we're told to isolate and we are isolating, but there's no reason why we can't speak to each other, you know, get on FaceTime with each other, connect. And I think those people are starting to spiral downwards. Probably a lot of them will be withdrawing or you will notice that maybe they're slurring more, you know, slurring earlier in the day or just avoiding. Those those are signs that all is not well. Um, Extremes of emotion. I think there's a lot of emotional dysregulation going on at the moment. You know, I've experienced this. I got hugely angry for a few days about things that are really, there's no point in me getting angry about them. But, you know, I think a lot of us, because we've had our normal routines taken away and the things that we do to keep in control and stay kind of, you know, afloat, a lot of those things have been taken away. And, 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 um, and we may be seeing some kind of extremes of behavior in our loved ones that we've never seen before or, or um, that we have seen, but only on very rare occasions. And they might be becoming more consistent. You know, behavior can deteriorate and, and, you know, things can spiral out of control, not just in terms of drinking and drugging, but in terms of uh, kind of emotionally rock bottoming in one way or another. What can we do to help someone if we recognize or hear some of these behaviors? You know, for instance, if you're talking to someone and you, they're slurring a little and it's only, you know, 11 a.m. I think it's important to just be honest with each other. You know, when somebody is sliding into an addiction and they're starting to lie to themselves and to lie to other people, you know, there's a lot of, um, especially if they get angry and you know that they're a person who's going to get angry if you challenge them or say anything to them about this it's important not to be cowed into being quiet and not saying what you're seeing because um you know you don't want to get sucked into the denial process that the person's entering into and yes they may cut you off you know there's this thing called tough love i've got a vlog on my youtube page about this which i can give you to post uh, a whole kind of 45 minutes about tough love i know we haven't got that much time today but it's really important that we do tough love and don't just kind of pour oil, no, what's that expression? Pour oil on, oh, I'm, I can never remember that expression. What the heck? It's important that we don't just go along with it and pretend everything's okay if everything isn't okay. You know, it's important we be a good friend and we take the risk and we also say that we're there for the person but we're not going to listen to them ranting for an hour because they're completely drunk and then they're not going to remember it the next day. We don't enable that behaviour and make that okay. What would you tell someone... I mean, I'm, you're you're counselling people via Zoom and coaching, coaching. I, I'm people. coaching these days. You're not my, counseling. my qualification yeah. as a therapist is in the UK, so in America. I'm That's thinking. right. The language has to be very clear. I apologize. Yeah. So okay. those whom you coach, you coach via Zoom. I, I am coaching via Zoom. Yeah, and, and I'm, good. I'm quite old-fashioned, but I still use Skype. <laughs> That's okay. As long as you see them, you see them face to face. Yes, I do. Yeah. You know, I, I've said this at the top, um, your episode on uh, as the addiction expert is the most downloaded episode of What the Fockery. Mm. And it's the numbers are still climbing. I think people are listening and sharing and listening over and over again. And I'm so surprised to hear that not too many reach out to you. 
I wasn't surprised at all that that. Why? I, I explain this phenomenon okay. to me. If it's, if it's the same with podcasts as, as it has been for me with old media, you know, as an addiction therapist, you know, in London, I would frequently have people turn up in clinic to see me and they would pull out a scrap of paper that they would say things like, I've had this under my bed for three or four years, sometimes longer, you know, I qualified in 2005. So you know, sometimes people say to me, I've had this you know, under my bed for 10 years. I heard so you an, art, an article from an a newspaper. Article that I was an expert in or something that I'd written or they'd see me on television saying something. They'd mentally logged it. I'd pressed a button and they'd realized that, oh yeah, this could be an issue for me. But it took them five to 10 years to face it because, and especially right now at this historic moment, you know, like I've offered to do, I offered 14 half hours of my time a week to do coaching around smoking because when I realized there's a high correlation between smoking and the worst extremes of the coronavirus attacking the lungs, that most of the people, you know, a lot of the people who are going on to die had been smokers or were smokers um, because nicotine has been proven to stop the immune system in the lungs working as effectively. And, you know, so progression to pneumonia is more likely if you're a smoker. So I offered, you know, seven hours of my time a week, one day a week to work with people for free. You know, I said, if you've had a diagnosis, get on the phone to me. I'll work with you for free for 30 minutes and give you some strategies to put down cigarettes today. Two people so far have taken me up on that. Wow. The reason being, because of course, the last thing a smoker wants to do right now with the same stress as everybody else emotionally is add to that stress by stopping smoking. You know, people are smoking more, you know, people are smoking two cigarettes at once. People are drinking, you know, a bottle of whiskey instead of a, you know, a cup of whiskey. Um, but, but, People do reach the point, though. You know, people will reach the point. And I know what will probably happen with your podcast is at some point, be it in two years, be it in 10 years, I will suddenly get this massive influx of people who've all heard your podcast and they will start banging on my door. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I, I just, you know, it's, I guess it's hard to ask for help. Is it, is it that it's a pride? What is it? Um, it's what stops really people ask. from asking for help? Well, it's scary. It's super scary because you know that if you let, as you progress in your addiction, it becomes more and more secret. As I said, you start lying to yourself more and more. You weave this web of lies and deceit more and more. So the, it becomes super scary to let somebody see any of that reality because if you let them see the reality, then you're going to have to see the reality. And of course, when you're an addict, your addiction, be it substance or be it behavior or whatever it is, it feels like it's your friend. It feels like it's the thing that's keeping you together and making your life work or making your life possible, making it possible. You know, in some cases, literally people can feel like, well, if I didn't have this, then I wouldn't want to live. And so I'd rather do this than kill myself. You know, and that's certainly something my head has done at times in my using, you know, where I may be using a massive amount of cocaine and getting drunk far too often, or I may be doing X behavior that I'm really not proud of but at least I'm still alive. My family would rather I was alive, you know, secretly being an addict because none of my family knew I was an addict or then, you know, wake up to a letter saying, sorry, I couldn't hack it anymore. Um, so when somebody reaches out to somebody like me, of course, by its very nature, that means that change is coming and, and the illness will tell you, don't worry, it's not that bad yet. Nearly everybody, and I've had people who have sat in front of me with yellow skin and yellow eyes from cirrhosis of the liver. The denial process is so strong, people can look at themselves and not see the yellowness. 
they will look at themselves and think they're okay. That's how strong the denial can be. So somebody who's got a much less serious addiction, of course, they can lie to themselves and say, yeah, it's bad at the moment, but it, you know, everybody's drinking too much. It's the coronavirus. Of, you know, I need to hang on to this now. Yeah, I'll stop when this is all over, when they've got a vaccine, then I'll stop doing this. But of course, you know, as I said, as, as I, I and all recovery people say, we have one day at a time. Today is the only day we've got. Today is the day that you can start the rest of your life. You know, yes, you may have had a terrible morning, but this afternoon it can get better. You can reach out. And I tell you, when you've got somebody like me in your corner, it's a heck of a lot easier. We can't do this alone. I think that's the other thing. And I think this is part of the addict personality as well. Nearly all people with addictions don't like asking for help. We're often intelligent. We're often very self-sufficient people. So we don't like asking for help. Um, and then uh, once we ask for help, then we need somebody. And needing somebody can be very difficult too. You know, many of us have been really hurt in the past or have been let down by people. So what happens if we reach out and we ask for help and the person isn't there for us or they're not strong enough or they, they leave us as well? That can be terrifying. How, what, do, what do you tell your, your, the, the people you coach who, for instance, how do you get them to put down the cigarette without you having to be there in their space all the time? Yeah or put down the drink? Because um, I, I, I'm really holistic and really person-centered. So I, will, I, I can't give you a cookie-cutter approach. I've got one person I'm helping stop smoking at the moment. And he, he's a real numbers guy. He's a facts guy. So he's got an Excel spreadsheet. And we're working together on him really putting down all of the data on each cigarette and why he's having that cigarette, what the feelings are, when it happens, all of that. Because I know that the way his brain works, once he's got it all mapped out and he's got a really clear picture and a really clear understanding, then it will be much easier for him. Somebody else might be completely feelings-based. So they, we may discover in one session that they smoke because of anger. They have a real problem expressing anger, being in touch with anger, and they want to suppress that anger before it gets anywhere near the surface. So that might be the thing the crave, that, that causes the craving for them. Um, so I can't give you one answer, but I can say that, um, you know, you can do things like journaling. That can be enormously helpful. You can obviously avail yourself of all the facts, but all the knowledge in the world isn't going to make you stop smoking. It's like now when you go into some airports in Europe and you have to go into a horrible room to buy your cigarettes and it's full of the cartons covered in the most disgusting pictures. People still walk in that room and buy the carton of cigarettes with the disgusting pictures because the addiction's that strong. Um, it might be that there's usually a lever. There's usually a magic key, though, that will help each person. And for some people, it's their child. Or for some people, it's, um, it's the, the desire to do something that they've never done, that if they stop smoking, they'd have the money in six months' time to do that thing. You know, everybody has their own special magic key that can unlock the door to wanting to put the thing down and have a new life. One of my skills is helping the person find what that key is. You, so you go to the root of uh, what caused the addiction? That's one thing I do, yes. You have to, because that's how you figure out how to work with them? Is that, is that it? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination, again, because understanding the past can be really useful. But then, and, and you know, I know I smoked, started smoking cigarettes, for example. I started smoking cigarettes because I was unhappy with my body. And I, you know, I wasn't growing pubic hair because I'm an intersex person. I felt deeply ashamed. So I didn't want to go into the shower anymore and be seen by the, the girls that I was in there with. So I started, you know, going hiding behind the bike sheds and smoking cigarettes. 
Now, obviously, that's a fairly unique reason, you know, running away from the fact I didn't have pubic hair. Um, and yes, knowing that helped me understand how I became a smoker. But there were many, many other reasons on top of that that mm-hmm. kept me smoking. One of them was that, I, that my identity was built around it. I loved the percep- I had the perception that creative people, the really cool creative people at the BBC where I worked, the cool kids went to the smoking room and hung out together and kind of, you know, took time off and kind of bitched about the bosses and all that kind of stuff so you have to understand all addictions work on some level what is your addiction giving you you know what is the gift of the addiction and then you need to have something better to replace it with because we don't give up things unless we've got something really great that we want instead so i help the person build that build that picture paint that picture write that picture you know Whatever it is, whatever the creative way that can help you, you need to have a compelling vision of where you want to be that's better than the vision that you're manifesting at the moment. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I have to think of a picture of just this can actually apply for lots of different things in life Mm -hmm. as a whole. How did you come to figure out why you were smoking? You didn't know it when you were doing it, were you? Um, you were what, 14 years old? When I was 14, you know, as I said, it was being a cool kid. It was being a rebel. It's because my mum smoked. For me, my mum my was a huge smoker. And that was one of the strange things about starting smoking because I hated smoking as a kid. You know, I really hated it. But then at 14, stuff was going on and it's just suddenly it formed an alliance and an allegiance. I think that's another thing that for a lot of people, drinking and drugging is often a way to connect with people. And this brings us right back to where we're at now. So we use drinking drugs initially, most of us do as teenagers or in your 20s if you're in America. In theory, you can't drink obviously until you're 21 here. (laughs) But we use them because they bring us together and they help us connect with other people. Now, how many people had sex drunk or high the first time? How many people out there have ever had sex as an adult, not with some degree of intoxication? You know, it's actually one of those things that's really common that we use substances we alter the way we feel to allow us to behave in certain ways i love to repeat that that's brilliant we <laughs> use the substance we, we use the substance to to allow us and give us permission to do something or behave in a way that we want so for example alcohol enabled me well, i love that level of drunkness where you could stand on a table at a party and dance or in a club you know, I really love that because there's part of me that's real exhibit, exhibitionist and wants to be that person on the table with the arms in the air and encouraging everybody else in the club. But actually, I'm very introverted naturally, or I can be very introverted naturally. And, uh, and, but when I had alcohol in me, it gave me permission to be that person. What I've discovered in recovery, and this has been a long, slow journey, but doing stand-up comedy has been amazing for this is I've challenged myself with that basic, wonderful tool, feel the fear and do it anyway. I've realized that often becoming the person we want to be feels horrible in the journey. You know, when we talk about growing, growing often really, really hurts. Um, But if we really want to be something, in my case, to be a stand-up comedian, to be the world's first stand-up comedian, I had to stand on that stage in front of very disinterested people for a long time before I got really good laughs. You know, and um, but when each time we do that, each time we feel the fear and do it anyway, whatever it is that we're doing in our life, we defeat fear. And defeating fear is one of the most wonderful things for building self worth and self esteem. Defeating fear is the best way to build self worth and self esteem. Is that a good note to part ways with? 
I feel like there's something more I need you to say. It feels too short. <laughs> I want to spend more time with you. <laughs> well, let's let's stick around until this thing go. Can go. Please don't go. Please don't go. Just the dog and the cat. Yeah, I know. I know. So, why why does addiction thrive in isolation? Are people are people slipping back into their addictive behaviors because they are they no longer have the social lubricant of getting together? I'm sure that I'm sure that there will be many people who will relapse over this over this situation, and many people, um, you know, uh, I, I've heard of a few in in my, in my kind of circle of people that I meet in recovery in Los Angeles. I've heard of a few people who are really struggling, and seen a few people who are really struggling. Um, and I think there will be a lot of people who might have come to recovery at this point if this hadn't this hadn't happened. Now they've got the additional excuse of, oh well, I'm not. There's no way I'm going online and 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 being seen by those people online. You know, I can't sneak into the back of the room and hide under my coat and drink a cup of coffee and not talk to anybody. You know, so there will be people who are avoiding recovery. Um, but I think I think also there are a lot of people who are going to have that breakthrough because of this situation. I think that a lot of people are, are doing reflection on where their life is at and where they're going and realizing that the nine to five or whatever they've been occupying their time with or however they've been living, whoever they've been living with, that it's not working. So I actually think that hugely positive things will come out of this experience for us as humanity. It certainly is an exciting time. Yeah, it really is sort of exciting because we don't we know things will never go back to normal. It'll be a new version of normal. And it'll yes. be exciting to see how we all interact and behave. Um, it, it'll be a very sad world when we no longer can greet each other with hugs and kisses, probably. That's something that may fall to the wayside or we'll find a new way to, to uh, reinvent the wheel, so to speak. But what are your thoughts on on what's going to happen when we finally can just be face to face with whomever? Mm. That's opening up a real can of worms that we've thus far managed to avoid. Oh, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, just I I felt very strongly that that, that vulnerable people um, were the ones who needed to be socially isolated. Um, and um, I, I, I was kind of erring on the side of the Swedish much more than, than the policy that we've actually had, you know, weighing up all of the implications of this policy, especially for the world's poorest, with the economic downturn that's going to happen as a result of this policy. You know, we're lucky in the West, you know, we, are, we have got governments that can financially cushion the hardest hit um, and we have healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there are, there are, there, there are millions and millions of people in the garment industries, for example, who are going to be put out of work um, because nobody's in the shops buying clothes. You know, a whole, se- a whole season of fashion is not happening. So those often women who support their young children are just not going to have work for quite a long period of time. Um, so, you know, I, I, I worry that millions of people will die from this anyway, just a different demographic of people. Um, and I feel that actually um, it will be good for us to return to, for healthy people to be able to return to the world and start 
you know, living their lives again will actually be a really positive thing. You know, as a holistic health person, I also saw a lot of that messaging that happened as really detrimental to everybody's well-being and health because it, we all went into massive fear. What does fear and stress do in terms of releasing stress hormones? It messes up our immune system. Yeah, it weakens so, it. So many of us who might well have been exposed to this virus uh, and fought it off, you know, not even not even got the virus, had our immune system severely affected by the way that our politicians handled this. And it wasn't really our politicians. We all followed the lead of medical doctors um, and medical doctors have a very specific view of disease and illness. They don't have a big picture view. Uh, and I would have liked a more balanced approach. Really quickly, when you said you preferred the Swedish approach, um, forgive me, what are the Swedes doing differently? The Swedes haven't done the lockdown that we've, that we've done. They've carried on their lives much more um, normally. They've let children go to school still. They haven't, shut every, they haven't shut everything. They haven't basically shut down their economy completely. Are they not as affected? Is it because they're smaller? It's more manageable? Is everyone wearing masks and gloves? What are they doing? No, they're not, they're not, they're not even doing that so much. It, it's just that the basic rules that we had initially, I think, were the rules that are the rules for this, which are wash your hands frequently, observe a six-foot distance from other people, except for the people that you live with, and just you know don't cough on each other and all of that kind of stuff. This, we've, we've, we went down this rabbit hole with the idea of vapor transmission, for example, which is the reason why uh, the mayor, Eric Garcetti, has insisted that everybody wears face, cloth face masks. Actually, the evidence for vapor transmission is really awful. It's very limited in terms of whether the virus can even be active, you know, carried on the vapor and how much vapor one would need to inhale to be infected, et cetera, et cetera. So we've had a massive lockdown across you know vast tranches of society and there are all sorts of unintended consequences from that you know if you're wearing a mask the whole time you can actually touch a surface in a supermarket and then touch your mask and then carry the virus around on your mask right by your face so there's lots of things that happened in the decision making and i understand why because we were all incredibly panicked and fearful and people like to be seen to be doing something um but i think that we need a much more nuanced approach which involves testing finding out who's had this illness. Well, we are still, we're early in this whole process. So things will evolve, I'm sure, as to make it more uh, manageable and make life more livable, if there's yes. such a thing, if that's possible. All of your information will be in the show notes, but quickly tell us how someone can reach out to you these days. If sure. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Angels Are Intersex. You can follow me on Facebook, which is Seven Graham Solutions. Uh, you can contact me via your fantastic podcast, um, or you can find me on Twitter as at Addiction Expert. Excellent, Seven. Thank you so very much for coming on, and uh, this I hope will be. You know, I, I keep trying to find the positive ways to contribute to this conversation. And the latter part of this conversation, uh, I want to be clear that, and as you probably should slap a disclaimer, those were all of your opinions. None of what you're saying is, is backed by any kind of science per se. You're not a medical person. And this is you who you are well read, you know what's happening in the world, you know what's happening in Sweden. So this was all just your opinion. Everything I say is 
my own personal view on things. I'm not advising anybody how they should live their life. I only ever make suggestions to my coaching clients based on my knowledge and expertise, uh, but it's, it's, my, um, it's my opinion. And whether you choose to listen to my opinion or think I'm a complete idiot and you're never going to follow You are no idiot. That's completely up to you. (laughs) Seven, it's so good to see your face. It's lovely to see you. Thank you. Bye. 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 What is it? Namaste. Namaste. Is there some Satnam? Satnam, Wahe Guru. Okay. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. Okay, maybe not, not quite by yet. If you know someone who might enjoy this topic or this episode, why don't you just forward it to them right now? Share, help us grow our community. And uh, check out the Instagram, follow us on Instagram at WhatTheFockery to see what our guests look like. I'm sure you're pretty interested sometimes. And um, the videos and the stories and previews and clips We are growing, we are growing, and I have you to thank for that. Now, officially, till we meet again, next episode, same place, same station? No, not a station. Okay, see you next time. Bye!